Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob and reading today from a book entitled The Private Key to Heaven. It was written by Thomas Brooks, who lived from 1608 to 1680. We're talking about objections to private prayer and Mr. Brooks gives answers to those objections. The third objection is we are not gifted. Some may further object and say, oh, but we cannot pray alone. We want, need those gifts and endowments that others have. We are shut up and, and know not how to pour out our souls before God in a corner. We would willingly pray, but we want ability. And we lack that ability to pour out our souls before the Lord in secret. Well, number one, God's dearest are sometimes shut up. Uh, they may sometimes be shut up. They may, uh, with Zacharias, be struck dumb for a time and, and not be able to speak. Uh, in the Psalms it says, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. God's dearest children have sometimes been so shut up that they have been able to say nothing, nor to do anything but groan. A child of God may sometimes meet with such a blow from God, from conscience, from scripture, from Satan, from the world, that may for a time so astonish him that he may not be able to speak to God, nor speak to others, nor speak to his own heart. Look, as the Holy Spirit is not always a teaching spirit, nor always a leading spirit, nor always a comforting spirit, nor always a sealing or witnessing, assuring spirit, so he is not always a supplicating spirit in any of the saints. When he is grieved, vexed, quenched, provoked, he may suspend his gracious influences and deny the soul his assistance. And what can a Christian then say or do? Secondly, I answer, thou canst not pray, but canst thou not sigh nor groan neither? There may be the spirit of adoption in sighs and groans as well as in vocal prayer. The force, the virtue, the efficacy, the excellency of prayer doth not consist in the number and flourish of words, but in the supernatural motions of the spirit, in sighs and groans and pangs and strong affections of heart that are unspeakable and unutterable. Certainly the very soul of prayer lies in the pouring out of a man's soul before the Lord, though it be but in sighs, groans, and tears. One sigh and groan from a broken heart is better pleasing to God than all human eloquence. Thirdly, I answer, beg of God to teach thee to pray. Beg the Holy Spirit who is a spirit of prayer. God hath promised his Holy Spirit to them that ask it. If ye then, he said, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? A new heart, it says, will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments, and do them. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh. 
I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. Those are prophecies from Ezekiel and Zechariah. Now, gracious promises are God's bonds, and he loves to see his people put them in suit. God expects that we should be his remembrancers, that we should pray over his promises. When he had promised great things to his people concerning justification, sanctification, and preservation, he subjoins in Ezekiel, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it. God looks that we should spread his gracious promises before him as Hezekiah did, Sennacherib's letter in Isaiah 37. God is never better pleased than when his people importune him in his own words and urge him with arguments taken from his own promises. Though God be a very affectionate father and a very liberal father, yet he is not a prodigal father, for he will never throw away his mercies on such as will not stoutly and humbly plead out his promises with him. God loves to take state upon him and will be sought unto, both for his giving in of mercies and for his making good of precious promises. Thou sayest thou canst not pray, why canst thou not go into a corner and spread the promises last sighted before the Lord and tell him how much it concerns his honor and glory as well as thy own internal and eternal good, to make good those gracious promises that he hath made concerning his giving of his spirit to them that ask him, and his putting his spirit within them, and his pouring out a spirit of grace and supplication upon them. We read of Tamar, that when Judah, her father-in-law, lay with her, she took as a pledge his signet, bracelets, and staff, and afterwards, when she was in great distress and ready to be burnt as a harlot, she then brought out her staff and signet and bracelets and said, By the man whose these are, am I with child? And thereby she saved her life. The promises are as so many rich mines. They are as so many choice flowers of paradise. They are the food, life, and strength of the soul. They are as a staff to support the soul. And they are as a, a signet and bracelets to adorn the soul and to enrich it. And therefore, poor sinners should bring them forth and lay them before the Lord and urge God with them, there being no way on earth to save a man's soul and to prevent a burning in hell like this. Concerning precious promises, let me give you these eight hints. First, that they are truly propounded and stated by God. Secondly, that they shall certainly be performed, they being all made in and through Christ. They are made first to Christ and then to all that have union and communion with him. Sertorius, saith Plutarch, that was the Greek historian, paid what he promised with fair words, but God doth not do so. Men many times say and unsay, and they often eat their words as soon as they have spoken them. But God will never eat the words that are gone out of his mouth. My counsel shall stand, he says, and I will do all my pleasure. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have proposed it. I also will do it. Thirdly, uh, that they all issue from free grace, 
from special love, from divine goodness. Fourthly, that they are all as unchangeable as he is that made them. Fifthly, that they are all bottomed and founded upon the truth, faithfulness, and all-sufficiency of God. Sixthly, that they are pledges and pawns of great things that God will do for his people in time. Seventhly, that they are most sure and certain evidences of divine favor and a declaration of the heart and goodwill of God to his poor people. Eighthly, that they are the price of Christ's blood. Now, how should all these things encourage poor souls to be still a a pressing of God with his promises? So, fourthly, you say you cannot pray and so on? Oh, uh, that you would leave off objecting and fall upon praying. If you cannot pray as you would, nor as you should, uh, pray as well as you can. Joseph's brethren stood so long, dallying and delaying and trifling out the time that having a journey to go to buy corn, they might have bought and returned twice before they went and bought once. When Elijah called Elisha, he goes about the bush and he must needs go bid his father and mother farewell before he would follow the prophet. Oh, friends, take heed of dallying, delaying, trifling, and going about the bush when you should be a-falling upon the work of prayer. What though with Hannah thou canst but weep out a prayer, or with Moses stammer out a prayer, or with Hezekiah chatter out a prayer? Yet yet do as well as thou canst, and thou shalt find acceptance with God. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man has, and not according to that he has not, Second Corinthians 8.12. The publican's prayer had not much rhetoric or eloquence in it, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and yet God accepted it. He prayed much, though he spake little, and God did not turn a deaf ear upon him. That God that once accepted a handful of meal for a sacrifice and a gripe of goat's hair for an oblation and the poor widow's two mites as if they had been two millions will certainly accept of what thou art able to do. Though thou dost fall short, yea, much short of what thou oughtest to do. Lord, saith Luther, thou commandest me to pray. I cannot pray as I would, yet I will obey. For though my prayer be not acceptable, yet thine own commandment is acceptable to thee. End of quote. If weak Christians would but put forth in prayer that little strength they have, God would quickly renew their spiritual strength. He would certainly carry them on from strength to strength. He would still, by secret assistances, and secret influences help them on in their heavenly trade. As a loving, indulgent father will take his little child in his arms and carry him on in his way homeward when his strength begins to fail him, so he can walk no further, and the way proves dirty, slippery, or uneven. So God does by his children. He says, I taught Ephraim also to go, as a nurse doth the infant, taking them by their arms. When God's poor children come to a foul way or a rough place, he takes them up in his own arms and helps them over the quagmire of crosses and the difficulties of duties, and over all that straightness and narrowness and weakness of spirit that doth attend them, in their closet performances. It is observable that when the king of Israel was to shoot the arrow, he did but 
put his hand upon the bow, and Elisha did put his hand upon the king's hand. And so when we go into our closets, we are to put up our hand, and then the Spirit of God likewise will put his hand upon our hand. He will put his strength to our strength, or rather to our weakness. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, lifts with us, or helps together. The Greek word doth properly signify such a help as when another man of strength and ability steps in to sustain the burden that lies upon our shoulders, be it a log or a piece of timber, setting his shoulders upon it to lift up and bear part of it with us, or to help us as the nurse helpeth her little child, upholding it by the sleeve. When a poor Christian sets himself to closet prayer, to mourn, to believe, or to obey, then the Spirit comes in with new help and new influences, assistances, and, and so carries him on in all these noble services. That child that doth but stammer at first, in time will speak plainly and fluently. Oh, how many Christians are there that now can pray with much freedom, liberty, and fluency, who at first could only sigh out a prayer, or stammer out a prayer, or weep out a prayer. Thou sayest thou cannot pray, but didst thou stir up thyself to obey that command as well as thou canst? Thou dost not know, but that a power may go forth with the command that may enable thee to act suitable to the command. In Matthew 9, Christ bid the palsy man, Rise and walk, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. The palsy man might have objected, Alas, I, I am carried by four, I am not able to stir a limb, much less to rise, but least of all to take up my bed and walk. Oh, but no, he rouseth up himself as well as he could, and a power went forth with the command that enabled him to do what was commanded. And so there was a poor man that had a withered hand, and Christ commands him to stretch forth his hand. He might have replied, My hand is withered, if I might have his Many worlds, as there be men in the world, to stretch it forth. I could not stretch it forth. Yea, if my very life, if my very salvation did lie upon stretching forth my withered arm, I could not stretch it forth. But, oh, he throws by all such pleas and complies with Christ's command as well as he could, and a power went forth and healed his hand. Oh, sirs, if you would but pray in your closets as well as you can, you do not know but that such a power and virtue might flow from Christ into your hearts as might carry you on in your closet duties, beyond expectation, even to admiration. Others have found it so, and why not you? Why not you? Well, remember that God is no curious nor critical observer of the incongruous expressions that fall from his poor children when they're in their closet duties. He is such a father as is very well pleased with the broken expressions and divine stammerings of his people when they are in a corner. It is not a flood of words, nor studied notions, nor seraphical expressions, nor elegant phrases in prayer that takes the ear, or that delights the heart of God, or that opens the gates of glory, brings down the best of blessings upon the soul. But uprightness, holiness, heavenliness, spiritualness, brokenness of heart, these are the things that make a conquest upon God and that turn most to the soul's account. Amen. Next time we'll talk about his answer to the objection, you have the spirit of supplication. 
That's the next answer. Did you remember the question, the objection? We are not gifted. We are not gifted. We can't do this. Well, he's proving over and over that you can. And thank you for listening. Please do look around the site and you'll see 3,500 audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. You could buy one of my books at Amazon.com or contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and I'll talk to you about our Zoom meetings. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun and this audio is being released on the 14th of April, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.